Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The start of the 1 o'clock hour, Weston Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Feel free to text in the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. We'll get back to some Carolina basketball conversation. Lots of texts coming in about the heels. Have somebody writing about the guard decision-making that it is hurting this Carolina basketball team. Panther Bo wrote in, is it too early to give Purdue their flowers after their win against Duke? I we love were just that. talking about that. I love that Purdue... <laughs> will recruit the 7-4 guys that probably take a couple years to cook before they're just, they realize how much of a monster they are. And then, you know, probably lose after the Sweet 16 appearance they're going to get. Maybe they get upset in the first round. This is what the Matt Painter squad does in the NCAA tournament. The closest they got was that Virginia game that was epic where Mamadi uh, Diakite hit the crazy runner against Purdue, and that was a Carson uh, a Carson Edwards-led Boilermaker team, and that was about it. But they did get the win over Duke, and the Blue Devils have their struggles as well. Clemson Tigers do, too, when it comes to football, Wes. Um, lost to South Carolina. It was not a one-time thing for the Gamecocks to get that victory over the Tennessee Volunteers and then follow that victory up the next week with a win over their arch rival in the Clemson Tigers. Now Clemson and North Carolina, both of those football squads coming in with a loss into championship weekend to battle for the ACC title. We talked about this a long time ago. We anticipated the Heels and the Tigers facing one another in the ACC championship game. We talked about how it was going to be the most anticipated game in ACC championship history. Do you still feel like that with both of these teams losing a lot of steam with Carolina coming in after two losses and Clemson coming in after one? Only in the fact that th- this will be the first game that we've had in a while where you honestly don't know who's going to win. I'll say that much. Most of the ACC championship games, especially that I've been here in recent memory, you felt like it was going to be how big was Clemson going to win by how much, et cetera, et cetera. And so this game presents that. You do still have the star power with Drake May, even though that's been dimmed uh, a few uh, megawatts or whatever you want to call it. Um, but now nah, the juice has definitely been sucked out of this game because of, you know, Carolina's collapse down the stretch, Clemson losing a huge rivalry game coming into it, and them just not looking impressive, period, offensively, really all season long. So, yeah, you know, it's going to be a, a good game on its surface because I feel like both the teams have uh, uh, some things to offer. But, you know, just as far as what it could have been, no, we're, we're a long way from where we were a few weeks ago. Here's Dabo Sweeney, head coach for Clemson, discussing the loss to South Carolina and how, obviously, it's always painful when you lose to the Gamecocks. Obviously a, a tough day, uh, but you got to congratulate South Carolina. Shane, man, um, they, they, they earned it. You know, did a heck of a job. It was a crazy game, a lot of... A lot of opportunity, and uh, but man, they flat out earned it. And uh, so, you can't. All you can say is congratulations to South Carolina. Congratulations to Shane. Uh, you know, he 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 deserved it. And um, heartbreaks. I mean, this is obviously a game that uh, you know you never ever ever want to lose. And there's probably a reason why nobody's ever won eight in a row. Uh, so, 
Hard to do. Dabo Sweeney's still sticking with DJU at starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. Lots of pressure to move off of DJU, but he said he's not playing safety. He's not making any mistakes in the return game. Now, DJU was 8 of 29 in this game. 99 yards. Didn't even reach triple digits on close to 30 attempts passing in this one. Mm-hmm. One touchdown, one interception, QBR of 27 and a half. Yet, despite all of that, they still did not go to the other quarterback people have been pining for for quite a while in Cade Klubnick. Do you think Dabo Sweeney is digging his heels a little too much into the concrete that is DJU at starting QB? Or does this say a lot about what Cade Klubnick actually is where, no, he's not any Trevor Lawrence to whatever Kelly Bryant situation you might think this is? Bing, uh, I think you hit it right there on the head. Clemson fans, I, I hate to tell you this, and I've and I've been telling you this about uh, K. Klubnick that he's not what you think he is. You guys think that he is going to be the next Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson, and there's a reason why they called those guys generational talents because you don't get them that often, and you were very fortunate to get two in the span that you did. I think the fact that K. Klubnick was not inserted into this football game at any point, despite DJ struggles, tells you everything you need to know. I think Kay Klebnik will eventually end up in the transfer portal if they end up bringing in a better quarterback because I just don't see it with him. And I don't want to hit it. He's a freshman. This is 2022 where kids are coming in well-versed in route concepts and offenses and all of that, and we see freshmen come in all the time and turn up in college football. So don't give me that he's a young guy. DJ, I don't think Dabo's loyal to him to a fault because we've seen with the Kelly Bryant situation. He had a – a guy who had been there, who had paid his dues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Dabo gave him every chance to keep that job. But when he saw that Trevor Lawrence was that dude, Trevor Lawrence became that dude for that team. So I don't think it's that. I just think he doesn't have any better alternatives at this point. I know they got the kid Christopher. I think his name is Vezzanina coming in or something like that. We'll see. But as I said, Deshaun and Trevor were generational talents for a reason. Now, when we talk about this football game, yes, DJ – is struggling, and I don't think that he should be the guy at Clemson when you're talking about next season. But we also have to talk about the fact that I've been saying for the last couple of seasons, Clemson's skill talent isn't what it once was. There's no T. Higgins there. There's no young Justin Ross there. There's no Sammy Watkins or Nuke Hopkins, Mike Williams, whatever way you want to go. They don't have that guy on the roster. Bo Collins, sorry, just a guy. Antonio Williams looks like a good player, but to me, he looks like a two, not a one. So um, Will Shipley's a good back. Yeah, you should have got him more. He averaged eight a carry. Maybe you could have gotten him some more carries, but he's not ETN. He's not some of the other guys they've had. Clemson's skill talent as a whole on offense isn't that. And let's go back again to that defense that I told y'all a couple weeks ago. I told my boy this morning when we talked on the phone, I said, I'm going to get out of the business of saying ever with college teams because I get caught up in the hype too. Well, I'm like, this could be the best ever. That could be the best ever. They were saying this Clemson defensive line could be the best ever. They ain't close to the Power Rangers. Oh, no. Miles Murphy is not Cleveland Farrell. Brian Bercy, I know he went through the stuff with his sister and stuff this year, but aside from that, he can't stay on the field, and when he's on the field, he's not dominant. He's not Dexter Lawrence or Christian Wilkins. He ain't close to Christian Wilkins. Sorry. So that's what I'm saying. Trent Simpson, I think this Clemson team as a whole got over overrated this year. Um, I thought Clemson had a chance to be good and go to the playoffs with the way they were sitting. And because of their schedule, I thought they had a chance. But did I think this was a dominant championship team? I did not. So 
Clemson's got a lot going on down there that needs to get figured out. Here's what's extremely disappointing. I think if you're both a Heels fan and or a Clemson fan, mm-hmm. it's the fact that there was a path. Despite the ACC schedule being tabbed as a week one, mm-hmm. the college football playoff committee did not agree with that. When they had their rankings, Clemson coming in at eight, yes, far down. But there was a path, especially with the parity that we're experiencing in college football right now, with North Carolina coming into that game against Georgia Tech, their loss would have been against Notre Dame, and it was a bad one. Notre Dame controlled that contest. But then Notre Dame, with the wins they had piled up as the season went on, that was not nearly as bad of a loss as when it happened in the first place, where Mac Brown was getting made fun of because he talked about how the Fighting Irish was this fantastic football team. Well, in reality, they were pretty good. They were not They were not Newt Rockney and anybody like that, <laughs> but they were pretty good. Uh-huh. And they ended up picking up quite a few impressive wins as the season went on. If Clemson would have beaten South Carolina, which they did have their opportunities, it would not have been crazy, right? Clemson still ranks number eight. I don't think North Carolina would have ever gotten into the college football playoff, mm-hmm. but now there's no way. I mean, even in the loss against Georgia Tech, they were out immediately as soon as that happened. And as soon as Josh Downs drops that touchdown pass from Drake May, it's over. Dunzo. Now it's even more so against, you know, NC State losing that game. And same thing with Clemson. There's no path anymore. But that's the point. ACC really could have done a nice job of gaining some respect with Clemson and North Carolina coming into an ACC championship game where they each only had one loss on the season, both to the same school mm-hmm. in Notre Dame, that would have been a monster ACC championship contest. And Wes, I just can't help but feel like I, like we have been let down. We because have. This does not measure up at all to what we had anticipated. It looked very good. We had that conversation mad early. Like we were, what was it like a month in mm-hmm. maybe, maybe a month and a half in yeah. to the college football season. We were discussing, Hey, this could be the most highly anticipated ACC title game ever. We could have done that. And that goes to your point of, we need to hold off in the moment. We need to kind of have an out of body experience. Our souls need to point to our bodies and say, Hey, hold on there. You know, don't, don't do the whole everything because man, I think now it's, I just, I kind of throw my hands up a little bit. It's an yeah. afterthought this it weekend. Is. Sorry. It is. It no, is. It is. I yeah. know. I, it's I an afterthought. It. And, uh, you know, as I said, I'm going to get out of business of that, folks. I was certainly one that would get caught up in the ever this and ever that. But, yeah, it's an afterthought this weekend because that game, nothing's going to come out of it. Most of out of all of Clemson's championship game appearance, appearances, each one led to the college football playoffs. Mm-hmm. And the one year they didn't was that was the year they didn't make the playoffs. Well, what was the record for Carolina the first time they had that fight I think against Carolina Clemson? Was ten and two? They were eleven and one. Yeah, okay. I was about to say they only had one loss like that. Even then, right? Well, were this, they ten and one coming in? Right? Yeah. Two. Yeah. Well, they wait. Lose no, they played against, twelve games, eleven and one. Sorry. So there, yeah, there you go. So okay. they had just had the one loss, and mm-hmm. and even then, isn't it crazy? You're talking about Marquise Williams. You know, good quarterback for North Carolina. That was a good team. No, that offense. Was, yeah. Oof. Nobody's Drake May. Yeah. You know, even even Josh Downs. I don't know. I mean, was it Ryan Switzer was the number one? Switzer was nice. Yeah, he was. He was. Josh <laughs> Downs. Switzer was nice. Point being, this had all the makeup to potentially be mm-hmm. a ACC championship for the ages. Yeah. And now it's just not like that. I want to talk about this just real quickly with the DJU battle versus Kate Klubnick. I think... Oftentimes, when somebody gets excited about whoever, then we're putting them in Canton. We're saying they're Trevor Lawrence, you know, whoever, right? It's like, hey, maybe this guy deserves some credit. Oh, this person thinks he's the best thing of all time. 
Kate Klubnick doesn't have to be Trevor Lawrence, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what if Kate Klubnick just has to be better than DJU? I honestly don't think it's going to be that hard. To your point, you don't even think Kate Klubnick could do that based off the decision-making process of the coaching no. staff led by Dabo Sweeney. But you're also not giving him a ton of opportunity because if you think about it, the two times that he has replaced DJU has been two or three. I know it's not been very much, but the couple of times that he has, it's not like you're throwing the football a lot. He did have the two-point conversion, you know, that game against Syracuse, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Only had the one pass or two in that game, right? Like, it's not like they have fully displayed him mm-hmm. once they've put him in that game in place of DJU. It's a bad stat line. I mean, DJU had not put up very many good ones except for Wake Forest. That is the most redeeming start, the most redeeming box score we had seen from DJU since he replaced Trevor Lawrence when Lawrence was injured. Other than that, very pedestrian box scores for DJU Uyunglele. Maybe Kate Klubnik is the right time. Maybe it is the right time because if North Carolina, let's say that North Carolina gets back on track, they score a decent amount of points to lead off. Maybe they do do the whole 17 to nothing start like they had against Georgia tech and it happens against Clemson. Yeah. Do you feel good about DJ? You bringing this team back? I think that's where people are going to be a little hesitant to say, okay, let's ride with him instead of going to Kate club. Well, the thing is DJ has been so up and down because just the week before against Miami, albeit against Miami, he had a really good game. He looked to have bounced back, not maybe cured the ills that he had. And he played a decent game against, uh, Louisville. So he had put together a string of a couple of good games in a row after the Notre Dame debacle. I think what you have to look at with Kay Klubnick is for one, the times that he's come in, what is he being asked to do? Plus, we have to factor in the fact they see him in practice every day. They're not seeing anything that's saying, wow, he's ready to take over. He's a 50% passer. Granted, he's only thrown 22. This Clemson offense is very much predicated on the short game where your completion percentage at a minimum should be around 60 because it's a lot of wide receiver screens and different things like that. They pick and choose when they want to go downfield. Klubnik, as I said, I think the thing that fans get caught up in is the fact that he came in the number one. I think he was number one dual threat. I think he was, and I know he was a five-star. So Clemson fans see five-star. They think Deshaun. They think Trevor. They think that. For one, also, as I said, their skill talent around him yeah, he's he's not great enough to elevate those guys as well. And I think that's another problem that they have. Well, I think I think that's a good point. It is a huge difference with the skill players. We're talking about mm-hmm. wide receiver you potential for right. Clemson. And mm-hmm. there's nobody. And that's kind of been the case for the last couple of years. What has it mean? Amari Rodgers? They missed, yeah. They, and Amari Rodgers was nice, though. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Amari Rodgers was low key. He was a pretty good player. But certainly not Watkins, Hopkins. No, but he was Higgins, right up under those guys Ross, as a yeah. really good college receiver. Yeah. And, and Cornell Powell, people sleep on him, too. Cornell Powell, those two together might not have been like superstar household names. But they were two really good receivers together. And you also lost the defensive coordinator, by the way, in Brent Venables. Oh, yeah. And offensive coordinator. was. That's another yeah. thing that people were saying. I saw people, people online saying. That, <laughs> but I saw people online saying, yeah. well, if best is the standard, you shouldn't have stayed in-house to go and get your OC and your DC. That's another thing that we have downplayed this year is the play caller and the loss of those coordinators. Yeah, TC saying, Walker, they see Cade in practice every day, kind of agreeing with you. As yeah. I was asking the question, uh, Big Cat Dan does write in, Cade Klubnick brings a different energy. Maybe it was a coordinator, as I'm what trying to think. Maybe, yeah, Wes uh, <laughs> said Goodwin hasn't gotten the best out of him. I question both coordinator hires. 
he has to go outside the program like they did with Brent Venables talking about Clemson, some of the decisions he's going to do that too, I think. And then Moose wrote in, you don't know if he can't elevate them if he's not given the chance. DJ has never given them chances with his accuracy. So those are just some of the texts coming in mm-hmm. right now. We can dig into that a little bit more. Um, we have some more time, a couple more hours to go before we hand it off to Kyle Bailey starting at three and then going to bring you until 6 p.m. But we still have plenty to get to. Let's talk a little more about the Carolina Panthers. They're third in the standings. They're now picking sixth in the draft. If the draft were to start right now, what are the winnable games in the five remaining? And what kind of direction do you hope Carolina takes? It's Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You can text us, 704-570-9610 on the Garage Door Guru text line. I asked the question, how many of the five games remaining on the Panthers' schedule were winnable? And someone said, the problem is, all five games are winnable, which means we will win two or three and end up picking in the middle of the first round and not get the quarterback that we need. Right now, they're picking sixth overall. They were picking second after the Raiders won the previous weekend. Carolina would eventually lose to Baltimore, as we were talking about it last week. Now, they'll have the bye this week. It'll be two weeks from now that they'll play Seattle, which Steve Wilkes has already named Sam Darnold the starter, which is interesting. We'll dig into that in just a moment. What do you make of the Panthers picking sixth now? Do you agree with the text line that says all five of them are kind of winnable at this point? Where do you expect Carolina to end the season, and what kind of pick do you expect them to be selecting in the upcoming NFL draft? Well, if we go off the current trend, the Panthers lose every time they go away from the bank. That's true. And they win every time they're in it. Then, yeah, they've got two home games left against two opponents that are certainly winnable, but I think there'll be battles in some way, especially Detroit. I like Detroit's offense and what they're doing. They just don't have a defense. Pittsburgh, you know, they're pretty bad, but they, they can, you know, jump up on you. Seattle... I think it's going to be the hardest. But, yeah, I do think that four out of the five are winnable. And I think they have a puncher's chance against Seattle in Seattle, even though, you know, Seattle just lost at home, and they're not going to be too happy about that. But, yeah, four out of five are winnable, and they could put themselves in a tough position in the draft. Yeah, two games are going to be at home, as you mentioned. Those games will be against Pittsburgh and Detroit, and then the two road games after the Seattle one, right? So three of the the next five are on the road. Tampa Bay going to be on the road, and so will New Orleans. Real quickly, as we see Carolina win at home, I, I do think that's a really good thing, right? I mean, if you go to Bank of America Stadium, This has been a crowd that has been dwindling as the last few seasons have gone on. Mm -hmm. We've seen a lot of fans of the opposition infiltrate Bank of America Stadium, and that happened with Denver yesterday. I had some of the people that cover the Denver Broncos on my Twitter timeline discuss, man, a lot of Broncos fans out there in the city of Charlotte. And then I saw some Panthers fans accounts that I follow discussing how it sucks to see just how many of the fans are starting to show up from the opposition. And that has been a theme. So if Carolina can continue to win at home, it's something that Carolina struggled with in the past. So I do like the fact that they can win at home. If you want to try to make a playoff run, obviously you're going to have to find a way to be more consistent once you hit the road. Now you will have Seattle a couple of weeks from now. You are going to endure your bye week here. Steve Wilkes discussing all of the key guys and how they can respond from the challenge earlier in the week. 
It just confirms the kind of character that we have in that locker room. Guys that care about one another, guys that care about their craft and trying to perfect and do their job to the fullest. Very impressed, but uh, not surprised. So Steve Wilkes giving you some coach speak there, but also just those guys battling some of the, I don't know, adversity, whatever, just losing to Baltimore. But still, it was a nice rebound win. Carolina has done this a couple times, right? After what was an embarrassing loss to Cincinnati, Carolina comes back out. They beat Atlanta 25 to 15. Not an embarrassing loss to Baltimore. The offense was embarrassing. They switch up the quarterback and they respond with a comfortable, controlling victory over the Denver Broncos. And so I do like that from Steve Wilkes. I I want to dig deeper into just where his status is right now, what David Tepper might be thinking about making him the permanent head coach. He's three and four in the seven games that he's taken over since Matt rule was fired. So he lost the Rams game. He lost on the road to Atlanta, the crazy one that happened with PJ Walker throwing the yellow ball. Cincinnati was the embarrassing loss. And then you saw Baltimore on the road two weekends or two games ago. I should say Tampa Bay, Atlanta, Denver are the three wins. Where are you overall with Steve Wilkes and what he's done well, what he hasn't done well, and where he is on the permanent coaching job meter? Uh, Well, I've said I like his leadership and his demeanor. I do like that. I do feel like he has a head coach feel um, about him. The style of offense he wants to play, I'm not thrilled about because, you know, the ball control and play defense style of coaching, I feel like it's, I mean, it's it's coming back a little bit more than people want to let on, but it's just not that exciting for me. So that hurts him, I feel like. But one thing when you think about the intangibles of him taking his job is I feel like that it feels like it, it could be in the stars because of the intangibles. I mean, how many times do you get a head coaching candidate that is from there um, you know, has a following. I think that's something that you could get behind, especially if they start to win as far as just, hey, you know, this is one of your own, Charlotte. This, You know, a, a Carolina Panthers team led by someone from Charlotte, played high school football in Charlotte. That's a hell of a story, mm-hmm. okay? So I think that goes a lot in his favor. Where do I stand today? I would say at this point I would give him a chance. I really would, I, and I say that, and I'm going to stand on that. I really would because of the intangibles that I like. If you start to win, what a great story that would be, putting butts in seats, people really going extra hard to cheer for the Panthers because it's one of our own at the head coaching position. And, you know, you see that he does have guys playing hard, playing with character. He gives guys a chance. He puts guys in good positions to win. I'm not thrilled about the style of offense he wants to want, run, but outside of that, um, I think intangibly, intangibly, there's a lot there to give him a shot to see what he could do if you can get the right signal calling. Because we haven't seen that. In Arizona, he didn't have his guy. In Carolina, if you go out and get him a guy, I'd like to see what he can do. I'm starting to get on board with Steve Wilkes just becoming the permanent head coach. Yeah. I am. And if he continues to do mostly what he's done to the seven games he's coached, if he continues to do that the next five Let's say he finishes around 500 or picks up a couple of victories, even if some Panthers fans don't want it because of the higher draft pick. It's still impressive that Steve mm-hmm. Wilkes is able to rally this group that he has right now in order to win more games. If the players respect Steve Wilkes that much, if you're able to go through a lot of uncertainty, right? Like this is someone that wants to run the football for sure, but it's also the strength of this team. The strength of this team is not throwing the ball all over the yard. I don't know how pass happy you can get 
when the three quarterbacks you have on your roster mm-hmm. are the worst we've ever seen from Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, who just made his first start, and P.J. Walker, who was not supposed to make the team this year. From the very guy that brought him to an NFL roster in Matt Rule. Those are the signal callers that Steve Wilkes has had to game plan around along with Ben McAdoo. Baker Mayfield has turned into the third string quarterback on this roster, especially with Matt Corral also being out because of the injury he suffered that allowed him to miss the rest of the season. So when Ben McAdoo calls a game for Baker Mayfield now, they're scared to death to throw the football down the field. Not necessarily the case with PJ. What do they do with Sam? Sam showed some accuracy in play action, putting the ball on the money, but easy throws should have for sure. But it's something Baker wasn't doing. Yeah. Even the easy throws Baker was missing those. Mm -hmm. Sam did not. So they allowed Sam to throw that ball down the sideline. And guess what? DJ came up with it against one of the best corners in the league. Guess what? DJ Moore came up with a touchdown In play action. Sam Donald was making quick decisions. Okay. This guy's open. I'm not going to hold on to the football too long. Let's put it in that guy's hands right here, right now. Allow him to bring some yak to the table. I think because of the quarterback situation they have, I think that dictates a lot of the conservative nature play calling that Ben McAdoo is experiencing, that Steve Wilkes experiencing. And if I put that more so on the quarterbacks on the roster, I do think he'll open up the playbook with whatever offensive coordinator he hires. I don't think he's bringing back Ben McAdoo. I don't think that happens. If that's the case, I'm on board. At least what I've seen right now, he certainly has climbed the ladder from where I thought of where kind of what I thought of him at the beginning when taking over. He certainly climbed the ladder with the way this team has performed since he's taken over. Yeah, he has. And the biggest thing, like I said, you want to see from the interim is do guys quit? Do guys go on the tank? And no, they have not. And as you said, they really have a belief uh, behind him, which I also think plays into, you know, majority African-American players on the team. They want to see a black coach succeed. They know his story. They know what he's been through. And they want to play for him. And I think that's uh, very admirable as well. And I think that, you know, I just see Wilkes as a guy that guys want to play for. He's he's very no-nonsense. He strikes me as a guy that's very to the point. There's not going to be a lot of fluff with him. He's going to tell you what it is, what he needs from you. And either you're going to do it or not, and you'll be here or you won't. And I think a lot of guys respect that. Uh, at the pro level. I don't think a lot of guys like the politics and, and you know, just people being fake, period. And I think with, with Coach Wilkes, and that speaks to, you know, me as a person, I don't like dealing with people like that. I like a guy that's going to be straightforward. And I think that's a great thing about uh, Coach Wilkes as well. Well, and if you look at some of the stuff that he's done well, I think his evaluation of players on the roster are pretty on point. Yeah, because he came in thing. and immediately told you we're going to have some changes to the guys that see snaps and the guys that don't. And I think for the most part, it's worked out pretty well defensively. That's one thing I've honed in on about how we can fairly evaluate this guy coaching this roster. I thought there was enough talent defensively that you could be a pretty good defensive team. You held Denver to 10 points. You held Baltimore to 13, and you held Atlanta to 15. Two bad offenses. One that was good with Baltimore. That's a really good running defense. Cincinnati got blown out of the water. Atlanta, 37 points, inexcusable. You only allowed three to Tampa Bay. So you had a pretty good defensive game plan, and you know what else is happening. As they learn the system, a little bit more so with the Al Holcomb wrinkles, the Steve Wilkes wrinkles, because they're going to be the same. Al Holcomb, Steve Wilkes are the same guy in that nature. As they learn it, it's becoming a lot more successful. As they get somebody back like Jeremy Chin, they're becoming a lot more successful. 
if you hone in on the defense, the bread and butter of one Steve Wilkes, it's getting better, and therefore he's controlling what he can. I I am starting to very much so be okay <laughs> with Steve Wilkes becoming the head coach. You brought up that Steve Wilkes is an African-American head coach mm-hmm. and how a lot of African-American coaches do not get the benefit of the doubt, guys that are interviewing for those jobs. I wonder just how ugly it gets with Steve Wilkes, who was a part of the lawsuit alongside Brian Flores, yeah. talking about talking about how black coaches do not get enough of an opportunity in the NFL, especially with what happened in Miami the first time. Mm-hmm. So if Steve Wilkes is a part of that, and then let's say he finishes around 500, let's say he finishes one game, maybe two below 500, and he doesn't get the job? Yeah, then we know what time it is. What's that going to mean for this team, and what's that going to mean for David Tepper if Steve Wilkes doesn't, and you have a specifically white guy come in and get the job from another part of a different team that was evaluated as a potential candidate, and then eventually he is the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, Does this have potential to get ugly? It does, and I did not think about that aspect of it. I didn't know that he was in on that lawsuit because we know you know, the powers that be work behind the scenes, and there could be some voices telling them, like, look, no, we cannot hide this guy under any circumstances because of that, as you said. So I think that is a, another very interesting layer. Well, and the Steelers will eventually into. bring in Brian Flores, right? Right, so, but, it, but with yeah. his pedigree and what he did in Miami, oh, yeah. there's no way that he should have been, he should be a position coach. Any a position coach, D coordinator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't even think he's a defensive coordinator. I'll yeah, he's up, like but. a position coach, I think. So he should not, he shouldn't be in that position. Like, come on, man. So that's what I'm asking about Steve Wilkes is, you know, if Steve Wilkes doesn't get this job, then that is another question that we're going to have to have. But I, I do really like what he's done so far with this team. And I know that Kyle Bailey was talking about this all last week. Even when you lose to Baltimore, he still felt like Wilkes did something to enhance his permanent head coaching position. You know, even with that loss to Baltimore, the fact that they were in that game for a large portion of it, you know, you had the slant route where Demarcus Robinson beats CJ Henderson to set up a field goal. You have the Kenyon Drake run. That's it. (laughs) Those are the two plays that allow Baltimore to beat the Carolina Panthers. And so if you talk about them with, with that performance that Baker put out there with that performance offensively, yeah, I would kind of agree with Kyle. The fact that Steve Wilkes did something to enhance his permanent head coaching position after that game, and certainly he does after a win, a controlling win with Sam Darnold at QB against Denver. Well, I think what's going to be interesting as well that I think will help or hurt him too is the fact that at this point, as we said, he's three losses on the road, three wins at home. So coming down the stretch, he's got three games on the road, two at home. So we're going to see, I think one thing that could make or break him is how do they perform on the road the rest of the season? Especially, okay, Seattle, you got a tough one. If you lose that, nobody's going to be crying. But, you know, if you don't have a good showing against Tampa Bay and New Orleans on the road, I think that could really hurt him because they're like, okay, well, why is there such a discrepancy in the way this team plays home and away? Yes, Baltimore, they did put on a good showing, but offensively they were still horrible. Granted, Baker Mayfield was a quarterback, but he still had a Carolina Panthers decal on his helmet and a uniform on. So, he was part of the team. So I think that's going to be an interesting aspect as well to see if this team really has held to skelter between road and home. What I'm also interested in at the very end of this process, deciding who the head coach is going to be, is 
whether Carolina and really David Tepper in this matter, are they going to feel comfortable asking him to stay on board as anything but a head coach? If they like Steve Wilkes, but not necessarily enough to be the head coach, Mm -hmm. do you feel comfortable asking Steve Wilkes to be the defensive coordinator and having Al Holcomb take a step back? Or is this just going to be something where you cut ties? I wonder if, if Wilkes goes roughly 500, a game or two below 500, is there going to be another team with a head coaching vacancy? If Carolina doesn't go with Wilkes, Is there going to be another team that decides, you know what, that's good enough for us. You go ahead and hire some of the other smart coordinators. That's good enough for us. We'll come in and get Steve Wilkes if Carolina's not going to do just that. I don't necessarily see that happening just because of the way the league works. The black coaches have to be above and beyond to get serious consideration in the first place. I mean, look at Eric Bieniemy, what he's done in Kansas City, how good that offense has been, regardless if it's in Andy Reid's system or not. But he's been exemplary and what he's done at his position, and he still has yet to get a job. So I would find it hard to believe that a team would look at a guy who has not, who does not have a stellar record and say, we want him to be the head coach. Yeah, 704-570-9610. That's the Garage Door Guru text line. Feel free to share your thoughts again, 704-570-9610. Let's go to the second Fitty Flash of the day. What you got, Fitty? Well, some news regarding the Panthers' chase of the NFC South. Bucks offensive lineman Tristan Wirfs, he will be out multiple weeks as he is suffering from a high ankle sprain. So that already beats a hell below average offensive line for the Bucks takes another blow. And some news that doesn't revolve directly to the Hornets, but indirectly does involve the Hornets, the Dallas Mavericks are going to sign Kimball Walker to boost the backcourt. It appears that Dallas has a Jalen Brunson problem. Brunson left for the Knicks in free agency. No other ball handlers outside of Luka on that roster. So Kimba does resurface in Big D. What do you guys think of the move for him individually and for the Mavericks as a team overall? Real quickly with that Tristan Wirfs injury news you just dropped. Didn't that happen on somebody trying to hurdle him or some crazy play? I think I saw that Tristan Wirfs actually got hurt on, but Wirfs put him on the ground. And I think that was the I think it was something crazy like that. As far as Kimba goes, Luka Doncic, when I was listening to the Zach Lowe podcast a couple of days ago, I believe he's on a historic pace for usage rate. He's posting one of the highest usage rate percentage of all time. And if Luca has a little bit of help from Kimba, can Kimba relieve him when he goes to the bench and the Dallas Mavericks aren't actually, you know, absolutely putrid when he has to catch a breather here and then? And does Kimba have just enough left in the tank where he can be a spot up shooter? You're not asking a ton of responsibility for him to be a lead ball handler. You play him alongside Luca in the backcourt. Can Kimba just run around off some screens and be a spot up shooter at this point in his career? I like this for Dallas. It's about five years too late from what they wanted to do when they were always mentioned in some trade inquiries regarding Kimba Walker. But I do think there is something there that makes this make sense for Luca and the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, I think he can come in and provide a little bit of support. He's a very experienced player. Um, not quite what he once was. I feel like he's sure. been waiting on an opportunity and wants to end his career the right way. So I feel like that, you know, a guy who was a four-time All-Star, he can come in and provide some things uh, for Dallas in a minimal role. Yeah, I, I think I think there's a path for him to be somewhat productive. Certainly not the all-star anymore, but I do think that would be a nice fit if he's able to figure something out alongside Luka Doncic. Let's continue to talk about the Charlotte Hornets. Gordon Hayward's wife goes to social media about Hayward's shoulder injury. What do you make of the situation? We'll discuss all of that coming up on the Wesson Walker Show. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
Wesson Walker coming out of halftime. Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. I like that. I saw what you did there. Absolutely. A little Nas love here from Fiddy. We're going to try to incorporate some new music, man. Going to have a lot. I feel like, I mean, we have now. I was going to work on it last night, getting all the instrumentals, transitioning them from MP4s to MP3s to make sure our music bank was popping. And it is. I mean, there's a lot right now that we're going to be adding to the repertoire. I'm expecting to have like a thousand songs. It to be just a crazy, ridiculous library that we'll have for Wes and Walker. I mean, when you have two music heads like us that, you know, incorporate things. Hey, I'm a music head too, just of a different variety. I'm sorry, when you have three. So is it only country music or is it like, because you could add more music as well. Like if you wanted to add some new music as far as the rock or the old classic rock. Yeah. Bring yeah. that into the rotation. I'm more of, I mean, like, obviously, I, I prefer country music. Mm-hmm. The older I think, the better. I love classic rock. Um, I like some pop music. It's very few and far between. And then, like, I like some of the 80s and 90s rap. And then, the, you know, and, and then some Eminem stuff, like every white guy from the South does. You have to like some Eminem bars, but... Mm-hmm. Now, now, some of these songs that, that I have seen that I've got to put in the system, never even knew they existed. Oh, I'm going to imagine there's a lot of songs that you have no clue existed <laughs> that we're going to bring in here. I want to I want to know who you listen to as far as 80s and 90s rap goes. Like, who are you bringing up as the MCs and the artists there? In that I mean, category? I mean, like, I mean, you, you hear me play some NWA stuff. I do. You know, so like, I, I like them a lot. Uh, I mean, I like Snoop a little bit. I like Dr. Dre when he went solo. Ice Cube when they went solo. When they, when they all broke up, I liked all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you West Coast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. Uh, somebody wrote in, Kyle wrote in, if Fiddy starts playing Toby Keith, I'm out. Do you like Toby Keith? Uh, some of his songs about like honoring war heroes and then the importance of soldiers, I like those. His party music, nah, give me like Kenny Chesney or one of those guys Who, to get me ready to go get drunk. Did he come up with Red Solo Cup? Is that Yeah, Toby that Keith? was him. Oh, that song I'll gets, fill you up. That gets in my head so badly. Anytime mm-hmm. I hear it on the radio, it will stay there for the next week if I hear Red Solo Cup. Okay. That's the worst one. Also, the other one that gets in my head badly is, uh, what's the one, uh, How Do You Like Me Now? Toby Keith singing How Do You Like Me Now. That one said Toby Keith just has this way of making a song stick for about a week's worth of time. Mm. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. Okay, because it's coming across very negatively. It's not a good thing for me. We will have a lot more music coming on here. Also, big shout to Wes for going to the break room and getting some Christmas cookies we were warned about. So were they just snickerdoodles? I You picked the right one for me, going snickerdoodles. I, I guess they were. I just grabbed four. I didn't look over them too much because I knew I was up against the break. So, <laughs> so you just grabbed and you... Grab and dash, baby. Yeah, I was about to say, you yeah. just left. I, the snickerdoodle is fantastic. What did you guys get? Did you get snickerdoodles well, as well? I actually found some... Um, Snacks in the break room that I got those instead. I didn't get a cookie. So you didn't get the, are you watching your weight a little or are you well, just. Well, you know that. You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, I, I pick and choose. I pick and choose my spots. Yeah, the snickerdoodle. That's going to be tough. I got a brownie waiting at home on me later. It's still <laughs> left over from Thanksgiving that I'll be having later. Is it, oh, so somebody made it. It's not. I, I've done that before where I had some kind of dessert waiting at home. It's like the best feeling in yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to talk about whether it's too late to go to leftovers anymore. I know you said you eat about three days worth and then you're out. Are you out right now on Thanksgiving leftovers um, or are you still picking away? Yeah, because Saturday I didn't have any. But Thursday, Friday, I did. Last night did not have any leftover turkey, but had 
a couple of sides that were left over. So it's it's getting about closing time. All right, 704-570-9610. You can text in on your Thanksgiving leftovers, maybe your favorite Christmas cookie, all those Christmas treats, the little the, the trees, the little Debbies. Though those go, yeah, Fiddy, I heard that. That was a sexual noise you just made, but I but I felt all of it. It was there. Those things are amazing. Zebra cakes. I had one of. I had a zebra cake for the first time in a long time the other day. Wow. Also very good. So I do want to maybe I want to lead off the conversation at the two o'clock hour with little, little Debbie, Debbie yeah. little Debbie cakes. I wasn't uh, a Christmas tree guy. I didn't like those. I was I liked fig bars, star crunch, fudge brownies. Star crunch and fudge brownies are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. fudge rounds, the twenty five cent. Living in the country, man, you go to Catawba Market, yeah. and then you would get a 25-cent fudge big round. One? Yep, the big one, man. Yeah. That was fantastic. So 704-570-9610. Let's real quickly talk about this Gordon Hayward thing. So Gordon Hayward's wife went to social media to talk about his injury, shoulder injury that he had been suffering. He was out indefinitely. He is out indefinitely now with a left scapula fracture. He was initially labeled with just a left shoulder contusion, and Hayward attempted to play through it. It's something similar that happened with Darius Baisley, but then he missed a month to 16 games worth. So this has happened before. It is not without precedent in the NBA. But Gordon Hayward's wife went to Instagram and said this, quote, Gordon actually has a fractured scapula that they had him play with last game. That's why he could not move his arm up in the last game. Everyone who knows Gordon knows he has one goal, and that's to win and play the right way. He's the most truthful player slash person you'd find. If he's not going to play, it's for something more than a bruise. And then he, and then she responded, I would say later, she said, uh, just want to clear the air about my post on Friday night. I was frustrated with the injury report and the response to it. I'm sorry it came across in a negative way. It's not at all how I feel about the organization. I just wanted everyone to know why Gordon actually was not playing. I think there's a lot of things that you can take away from this. One, you kind of look at the organization sideways because why was Gordon Hayward playing with a fractured scapula? Right. Why was it not listed? And also, I wonder just how much Gordon Hayward was pushing back on having Gordon Hayward not play through it. You know, if if the organization would have said, hey, we're going to hold you out. Was Gordon pushing back on that? And does Gordon agree with the way that his wife handled it, as well as putting that out into the public sphere? What were some of your main takeaways with his wife's comments on Instagram? Well, my main takeaways when things like that happen is that that's coming from somewhere. Gordon's telling her this stuff. She sees it. She knows it. He's telling her this stuff. And I don't, I'm not quite sure that the player or whoever's involved mind that the person gets out there and says stuff for them because maybe that are, those are things that they won't say um, on their own. Me personally, I would not want my significant other to get out there and kind of handle my business for me like that but the situation itself is not good this is just another hit for the hornets the hits just keep on coming for them whether it's on the court or off the court whether the right steps are being made i mean you got a guy out there playing with a serious injury i'm sure he feels the pressure whether he um pays a lot of attention to what's being said or not but he knows that people think that he's fragile well and that's the problem how much of this is driven from a reputation gordon has earned yeah and how much of this is gordon just wanting to stop that and go out there despite all of the noise and so i'm not sure what to make of this this is another comment she did have on friday night when she was posting during her frustration she said i'm over them not protecting players just was talking with a young player's mm -hmm. mom and she was saying the same thing i don't know or would know how to speculate about what young player that would be 
LaMelo Ball is a young player. I know that we've had some of the injury concerns around him. And if you look at LaMelo, you look at Dennis Smith Jr., you look at Gordon Hayward. Those guys came back early and then suffered an injury mm-hmm. right after the fact to the same thing. Ankles for Dennis Smith Jr. and LaMelo Ball. Shoulder for Gordon Hayward when he tried to come back. Just wasn't working for him. And there's actually a fracture for Gordon Hayward. Look, I, I think... <laughs> We have to go to break, but the fans for the Charlotte Hornets, they were calling for Charlotte to bring these guys back a little bit ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So I do think you might be speaking out of both sides of of your mouth if you're a Hornets fan and you're wanting to condemn the franchise for bringing LaMelo Ball back sooner than he was ready. And then he got hurt where it was always smart to protect him from himself. I don't know if these are the players that are wanting to go out there. I don't know if it's the Hornets who have so many injuries they're dealing with that they just don't have another option. And so Gordon has to come back a little bit sooner. If the training staff says, well, he can play there's risk of re-injure, but I mean, maybe he can play. So yeah, I I have no clue what to make of this, but you're right. The injuries, they keep piling up and the guys continue to stay injured. And that's a real problem. If the Hornets can dig themselves out of this record, they've dug for themselves losing quite a few games to start the season. Let's start the two o'clock hour after we head to break. We'll talk more about the Carolina Panthers and Heather Denich of ESPN college football playoff committee expert college football playoff writer. She'll be joining us at two twenty. It's all coming up on the Weston Walker show sports radio 92.7 WFNZ.